Looking to create wealth and income through high cash flowing real estate? Self-storage is the fastest growing and the newest real estate asset that has outperformed all others. What's its secret? I'm AJ Osborne, and with over a million square feet that we have built, acquired, expanded, and even converted big box stores from small third-tier markets to large hundred plus thousand square foot facilities, we have seen it all. This is the podcast that we're going to discuss and bring on the best investors and operators in the nation to show you how to create wealth and income with self-storage. Welcome to Self-Storage Income. Welcome to Self-Storage Income. Today, we are answering the question that we get absolutely the most, um, and I want to start by first talking about our guest who will be coming on the next podcast this week, Paul Moore. He's a friend of mine. Um, He knows this industry inside and out, and he is a syndicator. It's a it, I love getting together with uh, Paul. We talk. Uh, I've talked with him before on our other podcast. Um, we talk about all sor- all sorts of different type of real estate, but it's exciting to get him. He's moved all into self storage. We'll talk about why um, everything from raising funds to how he looks at different operators, investors. Um, we're trying to work together. I'd love to work with Paul. I hope we can someday. Uh, he's going to bring so much value to the table. You've probably seen him on bigger pockets, all sorts of stuff. Uh, he's out there. His videos, one of the largest uh, YouTube views on the topic of self-storage. So he's just a great guy. I'm excited for that. But today, um, we're going to respond here. First of all, it, we, we receive emails and I'm talking to people. One of the most common questions, how do I get into storage facilities? How do I invest? What storage facility is right um, you know, we got a, we got an email from Brett Richardson. He, he emailed me, um, and he was talking to me about this and it seems like this is a common problem. People get started, they start going to shows, they do all the research, they do all the studying and they just aren't sure about a framework in which to understand the direction or, or how to really do this. Because this is so common, a while ago, I made a kind of a guideline. And this guideline was really a seven-point question that we're going to go through. And this guideline should help you understand better, even if you're in storage, about the direction you should go. If you're looking to get into storage, um, it, it asks you a series of questions that are supposed to allow you to, um, it it really is a mental exercise. So today me and Connor are going to talk about that. As always, I got Connor with me. Happy to have you here, man. What's going on, guys? Happy to be here. Uh, It's my turn to have a raspy voice. That's right. (laughs) Yes. Last time Uh, it was me. uh, Now it's me. So anyways, yeah, yeah, excited to dive into this. This is going to be an awesome topic. And uh, I mean, just getting started, getting things kind of hashed out in the beginning. I mean, that's one of the biggest things that stops so many of us from doing so many things in life. So I'm excited to jump into it. It's probably the biggest hurdle because at the end of the day, we all know no no matter how much resource or research you do, there is an act of faith to take the first step because there's so much unknown that you cannot know unless you do. And uh, one of the biggest problems that I find with people um, stepping forward is they're not confident on their, um, uh, on how they should proceed. 
um, more or less than anything because there's lots of options, right? Mm -hmm. And it seems like every deal that you look at, if you're if you're trying to put that deal into just one framework, it may never fit, and then you get frustrated. So, the the seven step or the seven questions that I have, which by the way we're making this available on our website, right? It'll it, you can yeah. it'll it'll have a pop up. You know, if you um, go on there, you get it for free, and then you can kind of read through and, and use this as mental exercise and listen to this podcast, and I can give you a framework on why. But let's let's jump into it because it may take us just a little bit here to kind of go through these these different segments. So the reason it's a mental exercise is it hits on a lot of the aspects that will determine the success of the facility and you with uh, within that success and how that will work. And it's points that you need to make sure you have figured out before you ever, ever even get started. So do we have an official name for this guide? So we I, can, I, I think we're going to call it the what storage facility is right for you. Asset identifier. Perfect. That'll Boom. be great. Right. And look for that. Look for that. And hopefully that name sticks. So, <laughs> or else it'll <laughs> look like some different. But it should be the first thing you see. Um, so, the first question on it is market. Now, once again, the, the order of these, you may want to segment differently, but I wanted to get started kind of at the highest level. And that, that tends to be for me a way that people. Um, start identifying where they're going to invest is the overall market. And I break it down into just three categories, a first tier, second tier, third tier, anything, a third tier in, you know, is fourth tier and anything else there, thereof. Basically you need to remember um, first tier markets, large coastal cities. Um, almost always these cities are a million plus. They have REITs in them. Um, it's where you will find every single competitor, um, and they usually are the, the highest prices. Second-tier markets are the little cities. So they're still cities, right? They're still what we would consider big, but they're just little guys. So I, I think like a, a perfect example of this to me is Oklahoma City, right? So we have these think You got to think like Oklahoma Albuquerque, Spokane, Boise, they're in you, they have these all over the United States. Um, these are my preference. I prefer second tier markets. Now, second tier markets have maybe more of a disadvantage. They're usually bigger boomer bust markets. They just tend to be. When, when they go hot, there's enough economic resource to make those things really grow. And because prices are cheaper there. More people can enter into the market. There's lower barriers of entry in those market, yet there's enough momentum and uh, uh, there is enough activity to make those things valuable. Um, that's something you need to, to remember with second tier markets. They can usually get overheated. Um, and then third tier markets. So these are smaller cities. Um, you know, Someone from LA may consider Boise a third tier market, but you know, for us in Boise and you know, most the United States, a uh, third tier market would be somewhere probably 50,000 and under. Um, or it could be even probably 50 to 100,000, but just there's no, there's no stronghold, right? Mm -hmm. And so it may be a, a little slower of a market, but for me, I'm around once you get around 50,000. Um, 
that you're really into a third tier market. Fourth tier markets uh, are anything under 20,000 to me. Um, and there's lots of different ways that people classify these markets. And I think that how you classify a first, second, and third tier market always uh, will just the definition to you will explain a lot on how you feel about investing and how you feel about those markets. So if I'm saying that's my qualification and you say, no, AJ, I don't think you're right. This is how I would classify those first, second, third tier markets. Think about that and think about why you say those things, um, because it will lead to how comfortable you are in certain markets or not. Um, I hear, you know, you hear some people in New York, they, when I talk to them, it's like, wow, we must be on different, you know, planets here. <laughs> right. Um, you know, to them, a second tier market, Seattle. And we're like, what? Um, like, so exactly. And they think Idaho's Iowa. Uh, so size would be the next thing. So market and market size. Uh, one of the things you need to look for. Do you want to touch real fast on yeah. just so like, cause we're addressing a lot of people I think that are looking to just start in self storage. Yeah. You didn't start in a second-tier market, right? No, no, no. I started in a third-tier market. Right. And when I say third-tier market, if you're in New York City, you've never seen a city this small. So it's like <laughs> up along the Canadian border in the middle of, you know, or in the northern Idaho region, there's literally more grizzly bears there than people. That's where we started. Gotcha. Um, yeah, I just wanted to make sure yeah. I make note of that, too. You know, it's not... It's not always, you know, you're just jumping into a first-tier market and competing and no. succeeding with, you know, these massive markets that are just You know, a, crazy. and a perfect yeah. example of this, because it's, it's important, you may say, oh, I'm not going to invest in anything. Why would I in ever invest there? I want to invest in L.A. Okay, when you go through these questions, you may have those opportunities, but your market may de be defined based upon your opportunities. My opportunities at the time were in that market in those markets. Perfect. Um, so that's something you should think through. And if the opportunity, it's, so choosing your market may not define on what you want as much as it defines your opportunity. Uh, this is important and you need to understand the risks that come with it. Uh, third tier markets, I have seen very little economic success in. Um, and by that, let me be clear, the cash flow great. In fact, a lot of these markets, some people classify, um, I, I was speaking to a gentleman who was incredibly smart, and he classified first, second, and third tier markets on two things, size, economic diversity, but also growth. So there were some larger cities in the Midwest that I would consider first tier that he would not because they were basically dead. Oh, interesting. And, uh, um, and based upon his classifications... You know, I would, you know, with that framework, I would never invest in some of those areas. And so it can, it can change and it can change what you view in your opportunities. So this comes down to another question that um, we'll kind of get into here. Let's go to the next one because this market question and these will all start to tie in. So size, square foot of the facility. So I break size up into three categories, 10 to 50,000 square feet, um, 50 to a million or 50 to a hundred thousand and then a hundred thousand plus. Okay. So basically 50,000 and under 50,000 to a hundred thousand and a hundred plus, um, understanding. So I've spent a lot of time on a, on the phone with the gentleman that, that called me from the Midwest and we had these discussions cause he goes, listen, I'm in the Midwest. I have $10,000 to invest. Um, 
I obviously he was looking to third tier markets. He was looking at something with maybe 19 units. Uh, so we classified very quickly these two first things, third tier, small, um, small facilities. And that was primarily dictated to our other question that was, you know, capital needs and how much in the, his opportunity, um, this can be an absolutely great way to go about this and, and to carve your niche out. Um, and understanding the size of your square feet may also come right into the third question, which is managed. So we have market, we have your actual facility, like the size, and then how are you going to manage that? Is this individually managed? Is it outsourced? Is it REIT outsourced? Or are you planning on automating this facility completely? Walking through this is, this is probably your most important step. Because how the facility is managed will dictate how the facility performs. Doesn't matter what market, doesn't matter what size. If it's not managed right, it will not perform well. If it's managed well, it will perform well. Um, so you need to be ready for that. Individually managed. Um, that is how I've always approached my facilities. I do not like to outsource locally because I did that. And it failed for me. That does not mean that it'll fail for you. One of the reasons outsource locally, this goes back into the first two questions. And you can see how these are all tied together. This is why I frame these questions. I was in those small third tier markets and I was in a small facility, way under 50,000 square feet. It was not economically viable for anyone to put a ton of care into it because I couldn't pay them off. We, the money wasn't there. The, the facility didn't generate so much money that somebody's looking at this like, yeah, this is going to pay me 30 grand. It was never going to do that. Um, so I, what we did is we had one of our, we had our brokerage firm. We had an employee there that was an assistant. She worked on some of the back end stuff. And then we contracted out with a local, it was like, I can't even remember if it was a property management company. We were the only storage facility they, they had. But they would basically go down to it. So hold on. Wait, I got to back this up just a little to give you to give a frame of reference. This was 10 hours drive from me. That was mm. So this facility was very far away. Um, Boise and Canada are far away. You know, a lot <laughs> of people may not think that. It is. We're on the bottom side of the Rockies. So we're really, really far away. Um, and... So we had a local company in this small town, 5,000 maybe people less. And they would go and do some of the basic functions, um, break locks, let people in. Um, if there was a problem, they'd go check on it. Um, that worked okay. We had another one that was outsourced locally in a larger town, and this was in a rural area also, and that, and that did not work out good at all. The facility was basically abandoned, left in shambles, and it was 60% occupied or 50% occupied when we took Oof. it back over. Wow. And so we turned individually. The reason, though, why we did this and we never went another route was there was no REIT or um, REIT availability to us. There was no automation available to us at the time. And there was no um, good people we could get to manage facilities or even knew how, even knew what they were doing. Now... Once again, let me be clear on this. Um, that turned out to be good for us because of our long-term goals. So when you're walking through these, 
So your, your goals, if you say, I want to have five facility in the greater um, Houston area, maybe not the best time right now, but uh, let's say that that's your goal. Uh, that would dictate, first of all, your market. That would dictate, um, or your opportunities for management would be tons, uh, right? And your size, could you could build huge, small, or anything else like that. Um, if you're not in that market, though, once again, these questions vary. The pros on REITs, we have a whole we have a whole podcast on how it's being managed, so you can kind of go back and listen to that. Because if I open up that can of words, that may take a half an hour itself to, <laughs> to cover. Yeah. So um, we chose to individually manage so we could have control, learn, and scale. Um, type. Okay. So market size management. The fourth question is type. When I say type, I'm talking indoor, multi-story, you going up, is it drive up? Is it specialty or are you just going to be parking? Are you incorporating climate controlled? Um, this is extremely important because this is what you're offering to the market. Uh, some markets, you know, multi-story, that's the name of the game. And we're, look, we've done multi-story. We're looking at building another multi-story right now that would be a three, four story up. Um, but they're in, once again, this comes back to the market. That would be in a market that is first tier conducive with those things. Square foot, because we're going vertical and it's multi-story, it would be a very large facility. Um, management, because we're proficient at it and we know what we're doing, we would manage it. Okay. If you are in first tier markets, this is common. Um, and uh, in fact, there's lots of REITs, there's lots of opportunities to do that. And that would also dictate whether it's be climate controlled. Most of them would be climate controlled. It wouldn't be drive up. Um, we have a facility that is an all indoor facility and that, um, comes back down to the how. So, or to the next question, which is the how. So the first was market. Remember size management type, what you're providing to the market and then how you're going to get there. Expansion value add conversion. Is it a new build or is you buying an existing? Okay. As you're going through this mental exercise, keep tying this back. And this is why I want you to do this. I, I'm trying to walk you through all the steps and things that you need to do. So when you come to an opportunity, let's say you go and you, let's say you're thinking about getting into self storage. So, and you're talking to somebody and they're like, Oh, I, I have this facility in this market. Well, you could come right to this sheet and you could start circling things. How big is it? Where is it located? How is it going to be managed? What type offering is it? And then how am I doing this? Am I buying a small one and going to expand it? Is this a value add? Do I need to come in here and put 300 to a million, 300,000 to a million dollars? Is this a conversion? Is this a, a empty box? Or is this a ground up? Is this a great potential for development? Um, or is this existing? It's great to go. I have very little to do. Okay. This will define the type because if you want to really focus on higher rental rates and do indoor climate controlled, then obviously you're not buying a drive up, right? I mean, it's logical. Now, number six, the structure of the deal. This is the, this is one of the areas that I think a lot of people get really, really tripped up in. Um, and I've broken this down into three different parts, investors, partners, or solo. Um, the reason I broke it down into these three parts or um, to, to these sections 
investors and partners, I view very, very differently. And so should you. Uh, investors, these are like if you did a limited partnership, you were the general partner, right? This is people that are not as engaged. Partners, these are people that are very engaged um, and or solo. That means you're doing it. Uh, this can dictate all the way back to the first page a lot of options. The gentleman, for example, that I've been talking to on the phone that was in the Midwest and looking at things, he wanted to do it all himself. Because he wanted to do it all himself, he wanted to do um, existing, okay, and he wanted to have drive up. That started to dictate all the rest of the things. That dictated the size, that dictated market, um, and that dictated management now because nobody's going to manage it for you. So you can see how all these things are attached. Whether you know, okay, I know exactly the structure of the deal or I know exactly what size, it starts to put all these other things together. So it really is a guide. The um, investors, partners, or solo, this can be based upon opportunities that you have or don't have. Now, some of these, you it may be the opposite, okay? So if you're like, I have an opportunity in a second tier market or a first tier market, it's 100 plus thousand square feet and it's going to be re-managed. Um, it's going to be, uh, you know, multi-story, but I don't have these other things figured out. Uh, okay, well, is it a new build or existing you're buying? And then the structure, all of a sudden you say, I either need investors or partners because this is a 5 to $15 million deal. Um, that starts to bring in naturally, this should organically flow to the last one, which is the capital needs of the project. I put it a hundred uh, zero to a hundred k, a hundred thousand to five hundred k, and then, <clears throat> oops, I think I wrote this down. Should be wrong, but and then you have a million to five million, um, and then five million plus. Uh, the reason, uh, uh, the reason why you look have to look at this is for once again obvious reasons. The lower end on these allow you into other kind of markets. The upper, higher end you go depends on structures, deals, partnerships. So anyways, you can go download this. It, it, it's not complicated, but it provides a framework for you to make decisions on how you want to move forward and how that thought process you know, generally goes and putting these pieces together. Uh, I like it. Because it was the same, all these questions were the questions that we had to ask ourselves and have meetings on when we were trying to figure out, do we stay in small markets? Do we move up? How are we going to do this? How are we going to fund deals? Um, we've done deals, for example, perfect, perfect example, not all, all things are the same. We had a deal that was brought to us um, by partners, right? And then it was a conversion and we started to figure out how it was a huge one. How are we going to manage it, right? We're putting all these pieces together to try to make sure it works. And it has to make sure it works with us and within our model. So it's a good frame of reference for you to, once again, have a mental activity to decide what markets are right for you, what asset types are right for you, and how those things should work together. Just thinking of this, I really do, I, I should probably make like a a graph or something shows, okay, number two, if you're on here, it puts you more towards here, but it's, that's dependent on lots of things. So it'd probably hard, be hard to do yeah, that. Yeah, that'd be really but. hard for sure. No, it's, and it's awesome that, that uh, you've got this guide available for everybody to, uh, to go and check out for sure. Cause this is stuff that 
is it just is honestly 100% of what you guys have just had to figure out over the past several years, you know, long before I've gotten here. And um, just being able to have this information out in front of you, that's just cut and dry saying, look at this, look at this, look at this, kind of to help you evaluate those potential deals uh, is huge. Because again, I mean, this is all stuff that you guys have gone through uh, with years and years of experience to figure out and, uh, and failures and successes to really gauge what exactly you need to be looking at in every single deal that you're looking at. You know, and two, even for those that, uh, this is not just for those that are starting and getting into it. This was something we had to ask ourselves after we had three facilities. Um, and then we ended up selling small ones and moving into big ones. Um, and then from there, we didn't know that we, 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 had all, we, we have all these rules, right? We'll never go into California, right? Well, one month we were looking at a portfolio of six <laughs> facilities throughout California. It, it didn't, didn't go through, thank goodness. But, um, and we, you know, oh, we're never going into first-tier markets. Now we're really trying to get this development project done in a first-tier market. Um, so you change. And lots of the change, once again, is driven by these things that we're discussing right here. Capital structures, how you invest the capital needs, um, on and on and on. And two, once again, opportunities generally drive this. So you can look at the opportunities you have, and this will give you a framework to put start putting pieces together. Anyways, you can go onto the site, um, selfstorageincome.com. Uh, just, yeah, go on there. You can download it. It's free. Uh, we're going to be trying to put out more and more of these tools for you guys. Let us know if you like them. Uh, I find these things really helpful. I love everything from guides to calculators to all that kind of stuff. That's why, you know, cash flow sure. freedom, we have all those calculators up and, and, um, it helps me create the mental model that I, that I'm using today. Um, and I obviously am always trying to hack, uh, getting to my goal faster bec without going through the, the, uh, <laughs> the trials, which I, tend to do. Um, I want to be a, you know, not a slow learner. As I tell my kids, <laughs> don't be a slow learner here. Come on, get this. Let's move on. So let us know if, if you guys like it. And uh, I hope you guys enjoy this podcast. N um, the next one coming out this week with Paul Moore, it's going to be um, really good. He uh, He's exceptional. He knows his stuff and we can really dive deep in a lot of these things. Um, so that should be here in just a few days when we, when we release it. Uh, once again, if you guys like it, please, me and Connor, do this stuff for free. Give us a five-star rating. Um, we are pushing to be the largest uh, podcast on self-storage in the industry. That's our goal, and we will be there. Trust me, by the end of this month. So I'll let you guys know when we actually hit that mark, but you guys can help us get there. Please help us get there. Um, we'd appreciate it, and that would also help on the YouTube. Go there. Give us a thumbs up on the YouTube. Give us feedback on what more you want uh, to see out of these things. And that helps us refine as we move self-storage income further to, de uh, to develop and deliver those resources to you guys. Thanks for everything you do. We appreciate it. And until next time, have a good one. Take care, guys.